And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, and today our guest is recently suspended Daytona, Florida, based FBI agent Stephen Friend. Steve made headlines recently as he joined a number of FBI special agents to come forward with their concerns about the political weaponization of the FBI. Steve is a law enforcement professional with over 12 years of extensive law enforcement and national security experience. He has a wide-ranging background in violent crime, child exploitation, and human trafficking, and in complex financial matters. He has served in Omaha, Nebraska, with a focus on Indian country crimes, and in Daytona Beach, Florida, with a focus on child exploitation, human trafficking, and child pornography. He has also served as a SWAT team member and as a member of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Today, we're going to talk about Stephen's life trajectory and mentors he's had that all contributed to his courageous stand against the corrupting influence of partisan politics within the FBI and, by extension, to other key federal departments and agency, a stand for which he's put everything on the line for you and for me. So, Steve, welcome to The Mentors. And first off, so let, let's get started. How, how are things going for you today? They've been pretty busy. They've been pretty busy. Um, you know, so after making that decision that I was going to address the the issues that I brought forward in my complaint and that were made public by Senators Johnson and Grassley, I've had a, a lot of outreach and a lot of support. So I've just been trying to, you know, respond to those and, and make sure that if anybody wants to take the time to to drop me a line or to send me a a message of support, that I, I want to make sure that I, I respond to that in kind. And you are on LinkedIn, so they can find you on LinkedIn. Yes. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, I just started a Truth Social account. And what's your handle at Truth Social? Real underscore Steve Friend. (laughs) So you don't have a bot playing you. Now, last week you had, I believe it was last week, you had some other news. Um, Your wife got laid off. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, she she was laid off. Um, you know, we're not not real sure if it's a it was a performance issue or anything like that. She's got a long uh, track record of successful uh, performance at her company, uh, and then uh, they just decided to it was time to part ways. So it's been an additional stress on the family. Uh, you know, certainly I, I'm on an unpaid leave. So you know, we're we're now at a point where we're both 37 and uh, never envisioned at this point in our careers we'd be looking to go on a different route, but. You know, that's that's just the hand we were dealt and we're, we're working together on, on our future and what our prospects are going to be. Well, as an outsider, it seems a little suspicious to me that your wife was laid off. So we'll leave it at that. I don't you don't have to make any comment on that. Uh, tell people. So you're on a uh, leave of absence. You're suspended without pay. Tell us what the FBI, what they're doing now. Uh I think maybe one thing, let's go back. Remind people what the oath was that you took when you took your job in law enforcement. Uh, my oath is the same as it is for anybody who's an elected official or a government employee to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the whistleblower stra- uh, statute, what does it uh I mean, it's there for a reason, and it's to encourage people that see things to come forward. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the whistleblower statute. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten more educated on that process now in the last you know month and a half since it's uh, you know kind of fallen on me. Uh, every agency in the federal government actually has some different whistleblower standards and, and rules, and the FBI is probably one of the most uh, stringent with that. Uh, in my case. I came forward, made a protected disclosure to the appropriate party, and uh, you know it was for a, a legitimate concern that 
the FBI wasn't following its rules and guidelines and uh, and then was uh, suffered an adverse uh, action against me by the FBI. Uh, so I'm going through the process now with my attorney and we're submitting a complaint to the appropriate parties, the, uh, the Office of the Special Counsel, the Office of the Inspector General, various members of Congress, um, because those are all protected disclosures. And, and my contention is that the, the FBI's uh, decision to suspend me was the adverse action that uh, I'm now suffering from. So for the audience, you followed the book. You, you followed the, the book in terms of if you had an issue, how you were to proceed with making it known to people. You've went up the line. I have, and, and, and I didn't actually seek to be a whistleblower. I, I really just wanted my my complaint to, to be heard and, and, and acknowledged and, and was hoping that maybe it would influence some of the decision making that's been going on in the last uh, year and a half since the events of January 6, 2021. And as we dig in deeper, we want to more, know more about you. And that's the reason I wanted to have you on the show and the courage and where it came from. What is it that you would like people to know about you? I had my dream job. I love being an FBI agent. They, you always hear that if you find a job you love, you're never going to work another day in your life. And, and I honestly felt that way. And I felt fulfillment, satisfied in the work I was doing, thought I was doing good work. I didn't want to leave that job. I, I felt compelled to. I felt that my oath mattered more than my comfort. So I'm, I'm not doing this to be a uh, household name or be famous in any way. I was very content to be anonymous in in my uh, you know in my disclosures that I made. Uh, that's sort of been thrust on me now at this point. Um, I, I feel like the information that I'm trying to provide is vital and very important to the American public. And, and I don't care if anybody knows my name tomorrow. Uh, I would much rather prefer that they know the information that I've come forth with. And your colleagues uh, in the rank and file, particularly, have have any of them reached out to you? Yes, I, I, I'm fortunate that you know I've been in two different uh, duty stations, so I've had contact with lots of, of uh, FBI agents, uh, current and former. I've had both retired agents and currently active agents reach out to me, uh, you know, and just you know make sure that I'm I'm doing well. You know, I don't want to put any of, especially the current ones, names at risk because you know, I don't want them to be subject to any sort of retribution. But uh, to, a, to a person, it's been nothing but support and, and I, I really appreciate them doing that. So it's my understanding that to date, there are uh, 14 whistleblowers, probably more. I think this goes back to August. And they are whistleblowers regarding a number of matters, including uh, J6, uh, I think the uh, Biden or the um, yeah the Hunter Biden papers and Mar-a-Lago. So there's a number of things, and we're going to have to come go to a break, and we're going to be back in a few minutes, and we're going to be and we'll continue our discussion with Steve Friend, who's a recently suspended Daytona, Florida-based FBI special agent and whistleblower. If you're interested in the wisdom of people who have succeeded in all walks of life, I urge you to go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on list of shows to listen to past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder, Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus, like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. 
Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com and mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with suspended FBI Special Agent Stephen Friend. We're talking about his trajectory as a special agent, his focus on violent crime, child molestation, human trafficking, child pornography, and the courage he found to do the right thing. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. So, what would you like the people, uh, my audience, to know about your family? I am uh, happily married for uh, almost 11 years to a wonderful wife. I've got two uh, young children who are uh, loving life right now in, in the sunny state of Florida. Uh, I've also got a really supportive uh, network you know, with, my, with my siblings and uh, my, my parents all uh, living within a few hours. So it, since we've transferred back from our assignment in the Midwest, it's, it's been uh, great to be able to reconnect with them a lot more frequently in person. Now, your dad was or is an accounting professional and a CPA, and you went off to the University of Notre Dame and got a bachelor's in accounting. And as I understand it, you went up to New Jersey and worked in your father's firm. Talk, talk about the path it, you took and the trigger point when you decided you wanted to get into law enforcement. Sure. My, uh, so I've got uh, two sisters and uh, a brother, and uh, our family is just uh, a white-collar professional family. Uh, one attorney, a pharmacist, an architect, and I was going to be the, the CPA. Um, I went to college, uh, pursued that degree, I graduated 2007. The uh, thinking at the time was that you know, I was going to go out and uh, get a little bit of professional experience and eventually uh, work my way back to uh, to work with my father, a father-son sort of arrangement in his his sole proprietorship. He's he's now been a CPA for 50 years. Uh, he's, and he's got a huge practice for one person. Uh, it splits between New York, New Jersey and his home in Georgia. So uh, out of school, worked in Colorado for about a year before coming back east. And he and I went to, to working together uh, what you have to understand about my dad and I is, is we're really close. We're really similar personalities. Never had any butting of heads or any any way until we started to work together. And uh, I just it it just kind of gnawed at me because I, I was really worried that I was going to uh, lose my relationship with my dad that I really cherished. And and also I just I wasn't professionally fulfilled. I I, I just didn't wasn't connecting with with that line of work. So uh, on a business trip up to uh, New Jersey, we were going to take the train into the city that day. And uh, on the train, I happened to see two NYPD transit police officers going to work and just kind of had that uh, moment of aha, where I, I thought, I bet they're going to have a lot more fun than me today. And uh, just sort of scratched, developed that itch that I needed a scratch of looking into law enforcement as a career. And then? So I uh, looked into uh, different police uh, department opportunities. Uh, I spent the majority of my childhood in Savannah, Georgia. So we looked there and they were in the middle of uh, uh, hiring 
process. And uh, there was an opportunity there for me to go to a police academy and join the police force there and, uh, and, and begin with them January 2009, just after the new year, attended a, a police academy for, for 20 weeks before becoming a uh, certified peace officer in the state of Georgia. And so you go down to Georgia, you're now working law enforcement. But when did the bug, did you, what was it that prompted you to apply for the FBI? Actually, it was my wife. Um, she, I met my wife uh, the day that I graduated from the police academy. She was there as a guest of another officer who uh, was paying matchmaker for us because she thought that I was going to look very dapper in my my dress uniform and she would hook me up with her her friend and uh that she did and m my wife is uh is a ukrainian immigrant so she has some language skills and, and she was actually looking into a career with the bureau as either a linguist or a special agent uh, and then at that point I, I sort of assessed what the the core skills were in the fbi and um i, I really enjoyed law enforcement the one aspect of being on uh, on patrol was that you know it's kind of a fresh slate every day that you go to work. You, know, you show up, do roll call, work the day. At the end of that shift, it's clean, and that's that's great. It's really enjoyable, but you don't really get to see cases all the way through. Um, so I maybe going into an investigation route sort of appealed to me. So uh, at that point, I had professional experience as a police officer, a background as an accountant in education, which is another skill that the FBI looked for. So I, I started the process, uh, hiring process with the FBI, and it took, uh, took me four years before they uh, brought me on in 2014. So being an FBI special agent is, you're a detective. You're now doing the investigation work. Yes. You're doing, you're digging around trying to find out where the crime, who the crime, who, why, what, when, and where. And your first assignment, which is interesting, is you went out to Omaha. And uh, as I remember, the assignment you had in Omaha is not something people get wild about doing, uh, but you did it. Uh, tell us about that assignment out there. Yes, I had a, a really niche assignment straight out of the academy, uh, probably mostly due to my, my background as a police officer. Uh, the FBI, the federal government, is uh, has policing powers in uh, special jurisdictions, including Indian reservations. So there's about 150 special agents at any given time in the FBI who investigate violent crimes and major offenses that occur on the Indian reservations because it falls to the FBI to, to prosecute a lot of crimes due to the uh, you know, if the, the tribes are unable to even uh, arrest individuals who aren't Native American for committing crimes, or you know, a lot of times they, they can't charge serious uh, criminal offenses with anything beyond like a, a misdemeanor. So the FBI comes in to fill that gap, um, and it's it's a very unique form of work. It's very independent. You're you're on your own. Uh, you're liaising with the local tribal law enforcement to to bring cases forward. But it's also very fulfilling because you get to to bring some pretty bad people uh, and, and send them to prison for committing some awful acts. And you also get a lot of repetitions. The case volume is is pretty substantial. Uh, an Indian country uh, agent is normally considered fully assigned if they have 25 cases. Uh, I, I regularly carry between 30 and 40 at any given time. Uh, and in the seven years that I worked out there, though, I, I was able to arrest about 150 uh, violent criminals which is huge compared to a lot of other agents, uh, many of which never actually wind up arresting somebody. And you loved the job, is that correct? I did, I, I did. It was, it was extremely fulfilling. I felt like I really had a knack for it. Uh, I got to the point where I, I always envied my dad being a, uh, a you know, subject matter expert that his clients would call. And in my office, you know, from the other agents, by the time I was getting ready to leave, I was, I was that subject matter expert. I was, I was the guy that, a lot of the tribal police officers would call at two o'clock in the morning, and it just was very, very fulfilling to me to know that in, in a time of crisis, they were looking to, you know, and thinking, what do we do? Well, we'll call Steve. And, and that to me was just sort of the, the ultimate of, of what I always wanted in a career. So what prompted you then to go from your dream job to Daytona, Florida? Other than uh, cold weather, uh, happy wife, happy life. Uh, I promised my wife when we were assigned out there that we would eventually wind up trying to get closer to home, Savannah, Georgia being 
home for both of us. Um, so we just, once you reach a certain number of years in, in Indian country, you uh, you get an exit benefit because it's so hard to fill those slots. The FBI tries to entice people to, to fill them. And after we did our tour of service, uh, we uh, we looked around and, and for opportunities and wound up uh, calling up Daytona Beach. They told me there was an open spot for a child exploitation investigator and the office was two blocks from the beach. So uh, they buried the lead and, and I was on my way. Okay. Well, we're going to come back in a few minutes with our guest, Monto, recently suspended Daytona, Florida-based FBI special agent and whistleblower Stephen Friend. Remember, you can now listen live to our Saturday broadcast on the Salem Radio Network in California and on iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio everywhere else in the world. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com and mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lauren. I'm with suspended FBI Special Agent Steve Friend. We're talking about his trajectory as a special agent and the courage he found to put it all on the line for you and me. Um, for the audience, let's talk a little bit about the FBI and how it works. So you go down to Daytona, you're a special agent. How do you, who, what is it? The local police bring the cases to you. How do you find the cases that, how are you assigned the work that you're assigned? Well, every agent sort of has a violation that they concentrate on. Uh, one, one of the things that is, is sort of surprising when you go to the FBI Academy is you don't learn any federal laws. So, you know, one of the, the, the jokes that you can play is you can show up at the last week of the Academy and say, you guys are about to be professional law enforcement, federal agents, who could tell me a law? And it's just crickets. 
So, so once you get out to the field, you, you sort of get your, your area of concentration, your area of specialty. Um, and for me, it was, was the Indian country crimes when I was with the Omaha division. When I relocated to the Jacksonville division and to the Daytona office specifically, it was the, the child exploitation, uh, human trafficking, child pornography investigations. But no matter what, the bread and butter in the FBI and the, in the criminal side uh, of the house is to liaise with local police departments, sheriff's offices, because those are the guys that are really, you know, neck deep in the filth with the bad guys. And, and they a lot of times lack the resources uh, or, or just ex subject matter expertise. Uh, and, and they just are grinding it out, turning a wrench one case to the next. And, and the FBI can come in and, and really help them. I always I'm fine of talking about, you know, when, when Timothy McVeigh did the Oklahoma City bombing, the FBI SWAT team, hostage rescue team didn't just you know, scoop that guy up. It was a patrolman that, that found him for a traffic violation. So a lot of the biggest cases, you know, that the FBI comes across, they start with that that man in the uniform who's who's just, you know, minding a beat. So the cases for me always came via or normally came via my local partners from the, the county sheriff's office and the city police departments. And then you would investigate them and so on and you, so you're a force multiplier for the local police absolutely and and they and they were for me i mean i i came in with with my badge and then my contacts to the federal prosecutor's office but really these were you know deputies and, and detectives who had been working these matters for way longer than i ever had and they knew the subject they could actually bring me up to speed they could teach me all the tricks of the trade uh, and, and I just really was, you know, trying to learn from them and then also you know, pursue cases parallel to them so that, you know, if and when it came time to charge somebody with a crime, we could sort of choose our own adventure on, you know, what a federal route be uh, preferable or a state local route be preferable. So the issues of child exploitation, molestation, abuse, trafficking, are hot issues here in San Francisco as well. How bad is the, I, I, and we're reading more and more, and of course we've got the open border on the Southern border, and there's a lot of talk, particularly about human trafficking and sex trafficking as a result of it. Give the audience a little bit of a idea from your point of view about what's going on, how big this problem, and also the pornography, how big this problem really is. Uh, I, I could speak to the child pornography uh, first, and I would say that if you took um, the entire population of law enforcement in this country and doubled it and only assigned it to work child pornography, we would be fully assigned. It is that big of a problem, that big of an issue, uh, and, and it's, it's a righteous cause, and it, it's just perpetually going to be something that, that we're, we're always behind the curve on with technological innovation, you know, with the, the ability of uh, perpetrators to, you know, to hide and mask their identities. It's, it's just something that, you know, we're going to be combating for the foreseeable future, sadly. So there's so much out there that could actually use more agents. Oh, I would, I would say so. You know, and I, I you know, I tend to lean on the uh, small, small government side of, of things, uh, uh, I would I would fully endorse a, a huge up, upgrade in, in manpower for, for this issue just to combat it as best we can. And, and I think you would probably have a Venn diagram that crossed a lot uh, with all political persuasions on that issue, uh, just because nobody wants to see children hurt. When Along your path, who were the important mentors that you had along the way, uh, both for life and for the FBI uh, work that you were doing? Uh, I had great family growing up. I, I was close with my grandparents. Uh, my my maternal grandfather uh, was an Army veteran, and he would just you know always tell me stories about his time in the service, and it sort of sparked that that patriotic patriotic. Uh, Tennessee in me. Uh, my dad is is just been a great dad my whole life. You know, he was the guy that the kids would knock on the door in the afternoon to play and say, "Hey, can your dad come out and play too?" So I was very involved. Uh, my mom was a uh, rock solid. She she was the big big one for me when it came to being honest. And she just always used to say that you know you're 
honesty was the most important thing. Your reputation was something that, you know, you could never, ever have anything more valuable than your reputation. And that she would go to the mattresses for me if I was just honest with her. And I just always took that to heart. It's, it's always served me well. Uh, professionally, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've, I've had a chance to work with a lot of really great police officers and with special agents. Uh, you know, one police officer who I, I just was recently talking to, he himself uh, became a whistleblower at our, our police department um, uh, when I, very early in my career before I had actually had a chance to know him. Uh, he's been somebody now uh, that I, I've, I've kind of leaned on for support. And he's always has been a good sage, good for some sage wisdom. Uh, and then and then also, you know, when it came to being successful as an investigator, I, I uh I had an agent who was training me when I first first came in to the bureau. Um, who I always say that if I ever wound up in a gutter, dead somewhere, I want that man investigating it because he is going to burn down every bridge on the way. But uh, he's going to find out who did it, and he and he taught me a lot of the skills that I, I use and used up until the point where I was uh, walked out of the FBI office a few months ago. And how did you get involved with being on a SWAT team? So every FBI field office, there's 56 uh, around the country. Uh, everyone has a SWAT team uh, and they, they have to have a certain number of uh, volunteers. It's a collateral duty. You do it on top of your regular investigations. Uh, I wanted to be you know, involved in that. I'm a big believer in training. SWAT's the one area in law enforcement where you don't lack for training, you don't lack for equipment. You have everything you need to do your job. And, and, uh, and actually a, an agent who was on the team reached out to me. Uh, it's supposed to be sort of a professional almost secretive uh, selection process and uh, leading up to it i just got a random call from this guy who I, i'd only interacted with once and he just kind of gave me the hey steve it would be a really good idea for you to try out this time and uh so i did uh made it through the selection process uh, was a, was brought on the team in uh 2016 and uh, and, that, and that individual and i are still really close um, and then uh, at the end of 2016, went to the school to become a full uh, SWAT operator. Uh, was it in November at the time and, and uh, learned a lot, really enjoyed the training. And we all left there thinking that no matter what we learned, though, the most the biggest takeaways were Cubs won the World Series and uh, the guy who hosted The Apprentice became the president. Those are the two biggest uh, takeaways from my SWAT basic. <laughs> well, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about your action in the SWAT team. Uh, we're with our guest mentor today, recently suspended Daytona, Florida-based FBI special agent and whistleblower, Stephen Friend. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have my pillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lauren. I'm with suspended FBI special agent Steve Friend. We're talking about his trajectory as a special agent, his focus on violent crime, child molestation, human trafficking, child pornography, and the courage he found to do the right thing. So when we left uh, the last segment, we're talking about uh, being on a SWAT team. What, as you grew up and everything, what was your take and view on bullies? Uh, I was a smart kid. I was a well-behaved kid and I was a small kid. And I can tell you that I was bullied pretty badly uh, in, in school when I was in middle school. And it, it kind of left this indelible impact on me. I, I detest bullying. It is, it is the, the, I, beyond the pet peeve. I, I tell my, my two sons that uh, it, if they ever um, confront bullying, that there's basically nothing that they can do that is wrong in my eyes. And that, that is something that, you know, tin pop dictators are bullies. The, the, the guy on the street corner is a bully. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it's just been a driving force in, in my uh, pursuit of a law enforcement career because I, I really see police work and, and FBI work as being the, the sheepdog that, that fights off the, the, the wolf that is the bully that's trying to, to bully the sheep. So combating bullies has always been a driving force for me professionally uh, and socially and, and in my family life. And that was really one of my primary concerns uh, that drove me to become a whistleblower because I was concerned that the FBI was becoming a bully. And, and that didn't change my responsibilities uh, to my oath of office and, and to my profession uh, to, to confront it. Well, you hit right where I was going to go. We've... Um... Many of us uh, watch TV, have seen the situations where uh, the SWAT teams show up at somebody's house at six in the morning, uh, show up at airports. And many of these people, as you learn more about the story, offered to go walk into the FBI and talk to them, or turn themselves in or whatever. Uh, and somehow this weaponization that we're talking about of the FBI has translated to these uh, SWAT teams doing attacks. Uh, what well, I call them attacks. They're just unfair uh, and really put people in a tough situation and certainly create a lot of chaos in their neighborhood uh, when it's unwarranted. Um, but that was one of the trigger points for you with regards to being a whistleblower, uh, with regards to uh, uh, being on a SWAT team, going out to, as I recall, some people, there was no uh, due process. Uh, you were, and also there's a talk a little bit about that link between cases that you own and cases that Washington said, there's some kind of a thing there too, right? With regard to ownership of the cases and what the rules are within the FBI. Yeah. The, uh, the FBI has a, has a rule book, essentially. It's a domestic operations investigations guidance, and it kind of spells out how to do cases. Um, and, uh, in my, experience, I'd opened over 200 cases in my career. Uh, in each one of those cases, I became the case manager, the case agent responsible for overseeing it. And the office that I was stationed in was the office of origin. Uh, when I uh, started uh, working on the, the Joint Terrorism Task Force in Daytona and got exposed to some of the January 6 cases, I was clear from the very beginning that that rule was not being followed. Um, while the the JTTF were the case managers uh, on paper and the Jacksonville field office, which was our office, was the office of origin, we were essentially uh, dealing with Washington, D.C., with task forces there for, who were kind of uh, overseeing our work and giving us additional tasking and uh, eventually being the, the affiants on, on arrest warrants. So that, to me, was a, a major breach of our rules. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a constitutionalist and uh, I, I could see it being a, a Sixth Amendment due process issue if, if the investigating agency wasn't going to be following its own rules. That to me was tremendously problematic. Now, when it comes to, to using uh, SWAT or any sort of uh, mechanism to arrest somebody, you know, those are all legitimate tools. Those are those are things that are there for the FBI to use or any law enforcement agency to use. Uh, and it's really up to the discretion of the agency, considering all factors, risks to the to the personnel, to the subject involved, 
uh, the nature of the crime. Uh, but in my experience, and, and again, I, I've arrested 150 plus people, almost all of them were violent criminals. I, I never felt, I never needed to use a, a tactical team to do that. Uh, I was on the tactical team. I, I definitely think that it's a valuable tool. And, and the reason for that was because there had been a relationship with the individual I was investigating. I'd spoken to them. They knew that the charges were, you know, are in the realm of possibility. Uh, sometimes they're even represented by attorneys. So when that's in place, the FBI is, is uh, you know, is a professional organization. It's it's always you know, pride itself on, on being being professional and treating people with respect, uh, liaising with local law enforcement to, and, and using the best uh, best mechanism to bring somebody into custody who's going to be arrested. But with the least amount of force that's necessary too. there's no need to use an elephant gun to kill a mouse. A little bit like football at Notre Dame. Notre Dame tries to show I, I, they're not professionals, but certainly uh, professional in how they treat other players and uh, and show uh, graciousness and all of that, even though it's a violent game. But, uh, so maybe it comes from some of that. So this is Tom Lawyer. You're listening to the Mentors Radio. We're on with Steve Friend, uh, who is a FBI agent who's fighting partisan political corruption in the FBI. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your two. You've got two boys, two sons, eight and five. And when you come home at night, what is it that they always like to ask you? Oh, they are the great. We're the greatest ego stroke of all time. I would come home and they would just say, "My dad's in the FBI. How many people did you take to jail today?" <laughs> and uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, you know, unlike a lot of FBI agents, I, I had the opportunity to take a lot of people to jail who had done some bad stuff and um you know nothing but high fives when i came home from from boys so despite your recent uh activity as a in trying to surface all of these things would you recommend to others to join the fbi uh i i believe in the fbi's mission i, I think that uh you know it, it, there needs to be that force there uh, I hope that there's going to be some reform, you know, from from complaints that I brought forward that other whistleblowers, whistleblowers have brought forward. I think that uh, those need to be addressed. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, I, I'd be concerned with my children if, if they were going to be pursuing that career because I wouldn't want them to face the the conflict that I did, where I had a you know basically two conflicting orders. I had a, you know an order to carry out uh, arrests that were signed by a judge and were lawful orders. But uh, I also felt uh, we're conflicting with my my oath of office, which and and, and in that case I, I had to default to what I thought was the higher authority, and, and that was that was to my oath. And again, for my audience, let's put this in perspective: the FBI is an arm of the Department of Justice, correct? Yes. And the Department of Justice is a uh, department that reports directly to the president. Yes, the Attorney General, who is a cabinet member for the president. Okay. So uh, just want to be clear, everyone understands that DOJ and the FBI are integrated to some extent, I mean, in terms of reporting responsibilities. What would you like, we've covered a lot, and I think we've got a lot of your values out on the table, but what else would you like to tell people about what you value? I value uh, integrity and honesty above all others. And, 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 I, and I can get more into this, um, uh, handling the business that you have in front of you when, you know, when it's your time to do it. What about your little line about uh, the biggest, about the fence? I have a, a personal motto about painting a fence. Um, and I, I, it's a way that I kind of see the world as, a, as if it's a giant fence and we're all like Tom Sawyer trying to paint it. If uh, we all paint the section that's in our yard, that fence is going to get painted. We don't worry about what's next door. We can't worry about that until, you know, the section is painted in front of our own house. And then that's how we paint the whole fence. We're going to come back after a break with our guest mentor, Stephen Friend, suspended FBI agent and whistleblower. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. 
I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus, like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have My Pillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially non Profits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at kml-pc.com. That's kml-pc.com. kml-pc.com. And mention the mentors. And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lawyer, and I'm with Suspended FBI Special Agent Steve Friend. We're talking about his trajectory as a special agent and the courage he found to put it all to, on the line for you and me. So this is a kind of fire a bunch of questions at you. Uh, so how do you maintain your confidence? You know, I, I, uh, I have a tremendous uh, faith in God. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the best things that I, I one of the best quotes that I, I live by is a quote by John Quincy Adams. It says the duty is ours, results are God's. I, I know that if, if I do, you know, paint the fence in the section of my my section of the fence in, in my yard, um, it's all going to be for His plan, and uh, and that's just how it was always going to be. And with all that you've done and the people you've met and are going to meet, what do you believe makes people happy based on what you've seen in your life so far? I think people have a purpose when they, when they have, you know, something that, that they are not kind of drifting along. They don't have a hole in their heart. And I think that, you know, that number one comes from above. Uh, I think there's just a lot of people in our, in our civilization, our society today, they just have a God shaped hole in their heart. Uh, I, I think that we've become more insulated as a society. You know, there's, there's the screens are, are just a problem, you know, top to bottom. Uh, and and I, the one of the great things about being a, a parent that I've learned um, is that uh, kids see the uh, kids see the telephone wires. And I say that because, you know, we've been driving on those roads so long, we just we just don't notice the wires anymore. Um, but they're young and, and, and everything is new and fresh to them. 
and getting to kind of see the world through their eyes where they get excited about every little thing is, is just, uh, it's just a joyful experience. And what is it that you would say to the younger version of yourself? Listen to mom, <laughs> always be honest. You can never get your reputation back. It's gone. And, uh, and that's, you know, I've, I've messed up a lot in my life and, uh, regardless of how this, this whole uh, whistleblower ordeal winds up shaking out. I um, I know that I stuck to my guns and was honest and uh, and said what was true. And, uh, and and I can lay my head down at night, know that I did that. And and my boys not might not be able to be my, my cheering squad to say that I'm an FBI agent, um, but uh, they will be my cheering section when I'm uh, old and gray and, and know that you know dad did the right thing and said the right thing uh, when, he, when he had to, even if it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. Tell me about a habit that you're proud of. I get up every day, dark and early, because it's not bright yet. Uh, and uh, I run 12 miles every day. Uh, and uh, I think that's, you know, your, your body physically, you know, it has muscles that you need to keep sharp. Um, I think discipline is a muscle, the same thing. And uh, so I, I get that. And, and I also don't listen to music when I do it either, because I'm borderline psychotic. But I, I listen to, to audiobooks and podcasts because I, I want to enrich my mind at the same time. And it's just a great time for me to get centered and, and get ready to address my day. And you talked about your kids. What's the one thing marriage has taught you? Women know everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if something is wrong, uh, you have to you have to trust your wife. You, you, you know the value of a wife is, is more more than rubies. Um, I, I lean on my wife um, in in any time. In, if I'm ever feeling you know difficult times, I, I notice that I, I want to talk to her more, and, that, and that's just been something that's served me really well in my decision making process. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be one of our guest mentors and share your experience with us. Uh, you've really got a lot of courage uh, that we can draw from ourselves standing up to what's going on so when we see uh, bad things happening. So we've been visiting with suspended FBI special agent and FBI whistleblower Stephen Friend. If you tuned in late, make sure you go to TheMentorsRadio.com to hear the entire show. And while there, make sure you subscribe to future shows. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, Copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.